0: Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pod's Sleep Stories. Tonight, I will be your guide as we embark on a journey to ancient Greece, where we will follow the story of Achilles, one of the greatest warriors that ever lived. You've likely already heard many stories of Achilles' heroism and wisdom during the Trojan War. So, instead, we will dive into the story of his life, his childhood, his relationships, and his character in this incredibly colorful period of history. Before we begin, however, let us take a moment to unwind and find peace and comfort in the place that we are in, here and now. Close your eyes and allow your body to sink into the mattress beneath you. Here and now, you have no obligation. There is no to-do list. By simply closing your eyes and listening to the sound of my voice, By joining me on this dreamy journey, you are already giving your body nourishing rest. Whatever else you are seeking will no doubt come in time. But for now, be aware that you are already doing enough by lying in bed, and your body and mind are already being rejuvenated with your eyes still closed and your body sinking deeper and deeper into the mattress with every passing second. I'd like you to picture your room for a moment. Imagine the stand or dresser that is near you. What is on top of it? In your mind's eye, can you trace the shape? can you feel the textures of the objects around you? Without standing, imagine what the floor beneath you feels like, how it may creak or sound off beneath your light footsteps. Continue around the room, tracing the closet with your mind, the door, and then as you slowly move around the room, scanning it with a slow familiarity. Work your way to the window. Trace the outside of the window a few times. Follow all four edges, moving in a rectangle as you trace it around. As you imagine the window, try and imagine something else with me for a minute. What does it look like beyond the glass? Can you see the stars sparkling in the inky black sky? Or perhaps it is a cool, rainy, or snowy night? Can you picture the snow or rain drifting down? glistening in the dim light. As you picture what lies beyond the window, you notice something peacefully floating just on the other side of the glass. It appears to be a ball of water, a bubble of sorts, floating weightlessly in the air. You can see through the water, including little bubbles and streaks of foam that are swirling around in there. The ball of water itself appears to be moving like a current, swirling in those small circles ever so slowly. The ball of water presses against the window, flattening out each instant that it does so. As it presses against the glass, it makes a sticking noise… and a pop. Like real water would, you watch the water in awe for a long moment as it drips down the window and glides through the tiny crack beneath the glass. Slowly, water comes together once more, forming again into that otherworldly little orb of water that seems to be weightless. The ball of water floats toward the air, peacefully drifting towards you as though it is in a dream. And as soon as the ball of water is hovering over you, It begins to glide down towards you. It radiates a peaceful, warbling noise, like water swirling around in a tiny creek bed or a puddle at the edge of a forest. As the ball of water lowers toward you, a feeling of tranquility washes over you. Gently, the water glides down to your forehead, and it touches you so softly that you can barely feel it. As the water touches you, you become aware of how warm it is, like toasty bath water or soothing water from a hot spring. In its touch, you feel your head and shoulders relaxing, as if any tension has been melted away by the water. Gradually, your tongue falls away from the roof of your mouth. Your jaw unclenches, erasing any pressure you may have been holding there. Tiny muscles around your eyes relax any busy thoughts or negativity that may have been swirling in your head slowly disappears, leaving you with a manageable, peaceful headspace. Slowly, the water moves down, working its way down to your torso. As it touches your torso, you let out a sigh of relief at the comfort the warmth of the water provides. That warmth spreads down your arms, allowing them to sink deeper into the mattress and erasing any pain or pressure you have in your joints and muscles. Your fingers unfurl, and your hands soften against the sheets. The warmth of the water gently pressing against your chest seems to sink in now, embracing your lungs, your heart, the muscles in your torso. You feel that you can breathe more deeply and fully now. You take a deep breath in, savoring the nourishing feeling of that lovely breath as it fills your lungs completely. Your heart slows to a steady, healthy pace, making your body and mind feel even more at ease. Slowly, the ball of water moves down to your legs. Any restlessness you have been feeling in them, any discomfort, melts away, disappearing into the bed beneath you. Your feet and calves relax, allowing you to put the full weight of your legs into the mattress. As leisurely as the ball of water came into your room. It drifts out, leaving you feeling refreshed and ready for the story ahead. Now that we have taken the time to relax and find comfort in the place that we're in here and now, let us begin our story. Curiously enough, the story of the hero Achilles began long, long before his birth. His mother, Thetis, was a sea nymph. She was a kind, beautiful woman, with a voice that was so enthralling it could make people fall in love with her with a single song. She spent long days sitting on the coastal rocks, singing into the mist with her fellow sea nymphs and dreaming of what her life would one day become. She would often wander along the seaside, foraging from the ocean's bounty and gazing at the coast in awe and wonder. No matter how many days passed, Thetis never grew tired of the abundance that the ocean provided, at the beauty that it radiated day in and day out. She lived a peaceful life there on the coast, a life where she cared for the earth and the sea, with nothing but appreciation and love. However, even in her serene days by the coast, her calm hours spent listening to the waves and soaking in the light of the golden sun, she could not escape the conflict of the gods above. Thetis's first encounter with the gods happened soon after Hephaestus was born to Hera. She struggled to accept her son's deformities and saw him as an embarrassment. In an effort to rid herself of him and the shame she felt, Hera cast her son into the sea, hoping to never see him again. the young baby Hephaestus was heard by Thetis soon after he was cast down from Mount Olympus. Thetis had been relaxing on the shores of the beautiful volcanic isle called Limnos, soaking in the light of the sun and watching the waves move in and out on the white sand. The sound of the rhythmic ocean waves was soon overwhelmed by the sound of a baby crying. Touched and desperate to save whoever the child was, Thetis dove into the waves and wrapped her arms around the young child, cradling him kindly. In her arms. She wrapped him in a cozy bed of seaweed and brought him ashore the island. It didn't take long for her to hear what had happened to the child, what the powerful goddess Hera had done to him. Thetis knew she could not let an innocent child suffer due to the will of the gods. Especially a will as selfish as Hera's had been. So, Thetis decided to raise the young child on Limnos with the help of Eurynome, another water nymph. They gave Hephaestus a bright and wonderful childhood, one that was much better. Than the one he would have received up in Olympus. But this wasn't the only time Thetis would raise a hero or raise someone with great power. Thetis was a great beauty, and the word of her kindness and work ethic had spread across Greece and even up Mount Olympus. It didn't take long before two of the most powerful gods had their eyes on Thetis, wanting her hand in marriage. From the peak of Mount Olympus, Zeus often found himself looking down to the sea in a daze, admiring Thetis. As she wandered along the seaside and spent long afternoons helping those around her. When she sang, he would hurry out onto his balcony and cling to the railing, leaning as far over as he possibly could to hear her song. Down below, in his castle beneath the sea, Poseidon Was equally mesmerized by the Song of Thetis. Living so close to her, he had seen her kindness firsthand, and he was drawn to her as if directed by a binding spell. He found himself dreaming of her. He found himself wanting to do absolutely anything to make her his wife. But when Zeus and Poseidon learned of each other's intentions, they were forced to face one another. Poseidon claimed that he deserved to woo Thetis and have her hand in marriage. They had much more in common after all. Zeus was not used to not getting what he wanted when he wanted it. He coldly told Poseidon that he was to be the husband of Thetis, and Poseidon would not stand in the way of that. As they were arguing, a voice from nearby piqued their interest. They turned see Prometheus, the forefinger and soothsayer, approaching them with a worried, knowing expression on his face. He told the gods, calmly and coolly, that it would be in neither of their best interest to marry Thetis. For, long ago, there had been a prophecy delivered by Themis, an oracle of Delphi and the goddess of justice. The prophecy proclaimed that any son born to Thetis would become greater and more powerful than his father. Instantly, Zeus and Poseidon backed away from the idea of marrying Thetis. Both of them clung to their power with every fiber of their being, and they lived their whole lives desperate to keep it. Afraid that any son of Thetis would be far too powerful, they decided to marry her off to a man who had much less power than any god — a human named Peleus. Thetis did not want to marry Peleus. In fact, she didn't really want to marry anyone. But after some convincing from Peleus and the knowledge that the gods would not wane in their demand, Thetis agreed and was wed to Peleus. Soon after their wedding, Achilles was born. Thetis loved her son dearly the moment she laid eyes on him. And she knew deep within her heart that he would do remarkable things. Every night, she would lie awake as the moon rose overhead. As it cast its silvery sheen over her beautiful son. She would gaze at him in wonder, admiring how precious her baby was. She had never loved anything or anyone as deeply as she loved Achilles, and with such love came the desperate need to protect him. Her experience with the gods had shown her how cruel they could truly be. She knew the dangers of having a son like Achilles, and she truly couldn't bear the thought of losing him. So, one night, she gathered Achilles up in her arms. It was a cool night on the coast of Greece. The briny ocean wind whipped her hair as she made her way slowly out of the house, careful to avoid creaking floorboards and open the door without making a sound. She knew that Peleus would not approve of her plan, would not approve of where she was going. but. She knew that she had to press on regardless. She had to do everything she could to protect her son. She made her way through the forest and nearby meadows. Overhead, the bright moon bled through the treetops, casting a beautiful mosaic of light and shadow on the forest floor below. The thick, plush moss glistened in the moonlight. The sound of the crickets chirping and the frogs croaking around her created a kind of harmony, a soothing soundscape to the journey that she was on. She held Achilles to her chest, singing a gentle lullaby to him as they made their way through the forest. Though the situation Achilles found himself in was out of the ordinary, he was smiling. Pressed against his mother's chest, held tight and lovingly in her arms, he knew that nothing bad could happen he knew that he was safe, and her song soothed him even more deeply. Soon, they were on their way towards the underworld. At the edge of the dark forest, there was a cave hidden behind a layer of moss and plants. If you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't even notice it was there. However, those wrapped up in the affairs of the Greek gods were well aware of its existence. Thetis moved the curtain of plants aside and continued into the dark tunnel, into the cave that led to the underworld. She sang the lullaby a little louder to her son, rocking him more in her arms, and trying to ensure that he was calm and knew he was safe. Thetis wouldn't have to go far into the underworld to find what she was seeking, because right at the entrance was the River Styx, a river that formed the boundary between Earth and the underworld a beautiful winding river that was as dark and mysterious as the night Thetis approached it and knelt before it. She could see her darkened reflection on the surface of the serene water. She took a deep breath and held Achilles over it. She told her son that this would be uncomfortable for a moment, but that it would be worth it. The river Styx would make him invulnerable. Wherever the water touched him would be impenetrable, and he would be able to live a long, happy life — a gift in a world as strange as their own. She clutched Achilles by the heel, as tightly as she could, desperate not to lose her wonderful son in the waves of the river. Slowly, she lowered him into the water. Young Achilles did not cry. He did not even look confused. He simply smiled at his mother as she lowered him into the water. And when she pulled him out, she wrapped her arms around him, wanting him close. Thetis rocked her son and soothed him as she dried him off. She hated to have to do something like this to her son. But as she looked at him, a smile grew on her face. There was a magic sheen that seemed to glisten across her son, as if he was covered in golden drops of the sun. He was glowing in her arms now, and in that moment, she knew that he was invincible, that she had helped save her son. The next few years of Achilles' life were full of love and long sunny days spent in the beauty of nature. His mother and father rarely spoke of the prophecy about Achilles and his greatness and power. They wanted him to be a happy child with a full, loving life. And yet, it seemed that attaining greatness and waging battle were inescapable for him, like they were a part of his destiny. From a young age, he would gather sticks and act out pretend battles in the vibrant green grass of the countryside around their home. His mother would try to shoo him away from it. But his father encouraged it, knowing that fate would be fate regardless of their intervention. Achilles' strength and wit were also obvious from a young age. He outwitted many of the children his age. And in his village, He seemed to be the leader of every game and every event the children took part in. His natural abilities to lead and be in a position of power were undeniable. And soon, Achilles wasn't the only child in his parents' house. His parents took in a young boy of Achilles' age, named Patroclus. Patroclus had been an exiled child, left to fend for himself before he was offered safety and love in Achilles' home. Very quickly, Patroclus and Achilles formed an inseparable bond of deep friendship and brotherhood. They spent endless days together playing war in the woods, identifying plants and flowers, and telling each other stories under the tree shades. On rainy days, they would sit beneath a big oak and tell each other tall tales, trying to scare one another with each clap of thunder. They loved each other, and understood each other in a way that few people get to experience in their lifetime. Every night, they would lie beneath the covers and talk about their understanding and beliefs about the world around them. They found themselves in a beautiful union, companions, and best friends for life. But then, When Achilles was nine, it was foretold to Thetis that her son's fate was either to gain glory and die young, or to live a long but uneventful life in obscurity. Upon hearing this, Thetis was absolutely devastated. She did not want to lose her son To lose the light of her life. And so, she did the only thing she could think to do. She decided that she must keep him from serving in the war in any way possible. She disguised Achilles as a young girl and sent him to live with King Lycomedes and his seven daughters. It was a lush life, a life even more extravagant than the one that Achilles had been living. But he knew that it was not his fate. While the girls were encouraged to forage, to sew, to do art, Achilles struggled to follow those rules. His urge to fight, to grow stronger, to lead. It was all simply too much for him. He often found himself getting in trouble. He formed close bonds with the girls, who tried to help him see that living there was in his best interest. Many days, Achilles found himself dreaming of his life back home, He spent long hours wondering about the prophecy that had been spoken of him, and he wasn't the only one. The Greek army had heard of the prophecy, but they also knew it would be nearly impossible for them to win the Trojan War without Achilles by their side. And as such, they began to seek him out. They spent long weeks and months combing through the countryside, doing absolutely everything they could to try and track down where Achilles had been sent. Eventually, they got word that he had been disguised in the court of Lycomedes. The Greek heroes Odysseus and Diomedes set out to the court of Lycomedes, with a plan in mind for finding Achilles in the large group of young girls. They disguised themselves as salesmen and arrived in the lush court with bags full of jewels and clothing that they believed the young women would be interested in. They poured them out on a table, and the women swarmed them admiring them in awe and turning the precious jewels over in their hands. Achilles, still disguised, was in the thick of it, staring at the jewels from afar with little interest. Then, Odysseus and Diomedes set newly made weapons out on the table. They were stunning swords and shields, breathtaking weapons that would make any warrior look twice. Achilles couldn't resist. He took the swords in his hands and swung it around, checking the weight and the power of the incredible weapon. He was practically glowing as he held it, and as everyone looked upon him, they couldn't deny who he was. Odysseus, and Diomedes took Achilles by the arm, leading him away from the court of Lycomedes. Achilles went without resisting. Deep in his heart, he knew that he was needed to win this war, and every part of him wanted to fight in it. And indeed, Achilles did fight. Right from the start, He was given command of a fleet of fifty ships. He was the fiercest leader that the Greek army had. There was little that slowed him down, and his wisdom well surpassed his years. Fortunately for Achilles, his role in the war saw him reunited with his beloved Patroclus. By now, they had both grown into men, and they had many many years to discuss with each other and stories to tell. Patroclus was a warrior leaps and bounds above many other soldiers, and as such, the two spent long hours discussing strategy and their plans to win the war. But along with that, they often found themselves reminiscing about their childhood days together. They both recalled the long days they had spent running through the serene woods and the magic moments they spent lying beneath those beautiful towering trees, admiring the way the sun shone on the leaves. The afternoons they spent mock fighting one another, trying to outdo each other in their make-believe worlds. It was a precious time in their lives — the time of their lives that would give them much peace and comfort through their battles of the Trojan War. The Trojan War was a long one. For ten long years, the battles raged on. Achilles was undefeated, winning every single battle that he found himself in. Patroclus was always by his side, encouraging him, guiding him, and offering a listening ear for both strategy and his feelings. But soon, tragedy struck. After being disrespected, Achilles stepped away from battle, refusing to fight. Patroclus took his place in leading his army. And though the battle went well at first, it took a turn for the worst. Patroclus was killed by a Trojan hero named Hector. When Achilles learned of this, he was stuck with grief and rage. He turned to his mother for comfort and support, just as she had when she took him to the River Styx. His mother held him and protected him in her arms. She rubbed her son's back and promised him that things would be all right. They spoke of the beautiful times he shared with Patroclus, of the beauty of their bond. This helped Achilles, but he knew he needed more. He wanted to avenge Patroclus, and he vowed to do just that. Thetis, his mother, knew that the prophecy was coming to a head, that her son may meet his end after avenging Patroclus. But she also truly knew that she could not stop fate. In his rage, Achilles struck down Hector. Even after doing this, Achilles' grief made him restless, refused to allow Hector's parents to bury him. But soon, that changed. Hector's parents met with Achilles. Together, they all wept over the senseless loss of the people they loved. They reflected on their lives together, on the joy they had shared with the people they loved the most. Eventually, Achilles was able to let go of his hatred, of his anger, of his thirst for revenge. He wished Hector's family well and sent them on their way. The rest of the battles that Achilles fought were full of a strange peace. He felt grateful for the life he lived with Patroclus and his family. It was Paris, one of the instigators of the Trojan War, who finally killed Achilles. He fired a single arrow that struck Achilles in his heel, the only part of him that was vulnerable. As Achilles passed away, wasn't sad, nor was he scared. He was at peace. He had been a great hero. He had loved deeply. He had fought bravely, and now he was ready to rest. I hope you have enjoyed this sleep story, and it has brought you a night of peaceful, restful sleep. Please join me again tomorrow night for another sleep story. Until then, sweet dreams.